It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at seboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at seboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lokabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. In addition to seboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at turnboot.com. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to our weekly gathering here at Work Cookie of IOs, HR, one actor, recruiters, and all of us who like to be in the helping industry. Uh, Jeremy, today we're going to take a look at giving effective feedback that builds rather than breaks. Um, good advice for everybody. Where do we start? No matter what situation you're in, no matter where you're at, giving effective feedback is is helpful, right? Whether it's personal, whether it's professional life. So we've got some research here that we can use as a guide for today. I'll go through a little bit of what the, what came out of this research. And for those of you, you should be able to see, for those of you in our live audience today, uh, the PDF in the chat. So there's two pieces of research that we're looking at. Golem Buski, someone who's done 300 publications plus, tons of studies, and this is a partic- an excerpt from a publication, Approaches to Planned Change, Volumes 1 and 2. So it's a compilation there. And we're also going to look at a study from, and that one's a little older, ni- uh, ni- 1979, Feedback is Feedback. The other one is called How Empathetic Concern Helps Leaders in Providing Negative Feedback, a Two-Study Examination. So these were original studies. This one's found in the Journal of Occupational and Organizational Psychology. Authors are Young, Richard, Mokerzal, Stillman, and Gentry. Actually, two different scientific studies that were done. I'll keep this up for the majority of time. Put it up, put it down during today's discussion. That way we can continue to use that. I'll run through a couple things that stood out to me. As far as Gulambuski emphasizing the here and now, the scratch when it itches principle, rather than focused on the there and then roots of past behavior and judgment. So when we can get to it right away, it's more effective. We can get more descriptive rather than looking back in terms of attaching that to somebody as a, as a person which can create defensiveness. Uh, also focusing on these individual acts, attitudes, and values as opposed to the total person. Don't get people defensive. Keep people from fight or flight. I always say turn them in for to helpful mode instead. Be descriptive, non-interpretive. I have some comments on that because I think you can be interpretive in some regards. And also focus on this the possibility of change. What's different? Uh, kind of like a stop, start, continue. And then we'll look at the Lewinian model uh, where we're looking at unfreezing and freezing behaviors. 
Of course, we'll talk about psychological safety. And in this study, so there's a, an interesting study. The key, the, there are two studies that were done. The key takeaways, I always look at like, what's in it for me? How do we get to when we're talking with the with the managers to start to look at different models of giving feedback? There were two studies, bottom line, those who gave, uh, who, who were able to use this empathy with their feedback, it doesn't necessarily prevent negative emotions, which is negative affect, A-F-F-E-C-T, but it can help with positive affect. That was an interesting part of the research. They thought that it might prevent negative negative emotions, but it didn't, but it does increase positive emotions. And the what's in it for me, the WIFM is, I'll read verbatim here, and studies too, leaders rated high on empathetic concern by their subordinates exhibited stronger positive relationship between negative feedback quality and promotability, these managers were more likely to look and to be promoted because if they were able to use empathy in their feedback, they didn't necessarily, again, reduce the negative emotions, but they increase the positive emotions, which in turn creates positive emotion attached to that particular leader. Tom, over to you. Okay. Is it all reliant then upon empathy. Do these leaders need to have empathy? Because I'm not sure and I'm seeing a lot of empathy out there right now from those managers. I would say it's not, it's one, it's one piece of the puzzle. It's not all empathy. And I, and thinking back, I'm excited to hear Trip because I know Trip, you were, you were working on, on empathy, right? The, the last time we were talking, yeah. you were looking on some models. So I, we definitely want to hear from Trip for that, for that empathy part. I think it's there's a couple of different pieces of the puzzle. And you, you go back to, to the basic basics of psychology where you're looking at operant and classical conditioning with the whole uh, you know Pavlov's dogs. That's why when we look at scratch when it itches, when you're putting something, when you put a reward closer to a behavior, it's more effective. For example, if you you know, if you tell a dog to sit and you give them a treat two hours later, it's not really going to do it any good, but you do it right away. It's the same with behavior with, with humans as well. So we're looking at, for impact, we're looking at timing. We're looking at how things are done. Is it, does it invoke defensiveness? So empathy is, is just a part of, of this puzzle piece. And I'm really excited to see how this discussion is going to go, because I know that within the, the our audience today and with, with us, that there's some things that irk is the proper word about some of the the known feedback models, like whether or not to use the feed these standard feedback sandwiches and all these kinds of things, which can have value in certain situations. So I'm not completely, I'm not knocking these things, but I'm excited for where this conversation's gonna go. Tom, over to you. It, it, it's still though, I you know, I see some managers who I can bring empathy in. I can treat my employees well, but bottom line, I need to get the job done. Why is it important that my employees like me? (laughs) Or why is it important that I'm supportive of them? Um, When, quite frankly, here's the reason for you doing your job. It's your paycheck. I think part of that, and I I would love to go to trip after this, part of this, part of that really, it's what is your, what is your really, what is your goal? And, And I think a lot, I think managers miss part of that. So I'm reading from this. The results are consistent with recent assertions that here it is. A key role for leaders 
is the management of their followers' emotions. So that's an actually, it's, it's a key role. And that's been found in research. That is a key role. But we think, what is the actual goal when going into conversations? It's almost like this perspective shift. Is your goal to get someone to stop doing a behavior or is your goal to increase your 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 connection with them so that you're starting to build trust they're largely two different goals with two different outcomes because you're going to handle those two particular situations differently so the empathy helps and focusing on what the goal is really matters with that as well tom back over to you and likely over to trip uh, yeah, let's go to Trip first, and then Lee will come over to you. But but Trip, you know, you've been doing the research. You've got all this great experience in the real world. Are, are managers embracing this, or are they still, you know, back in the old school days with, <laughs> where you know I carry a big stick and there might be a carrot attached to it? Well, I, I think two things. I think one is we have to become more authentic with what we do. I think one of the things that came out of the last two years has been uh, the hybrid workplace we, demands authenticity, right? I mean, everything we do, if we do it as a, a mechanical tool, even if we're doing it with a genuine interest and influence, it doesn't matter. People have been through such a, a hard time the last couple of years, I think, that many times what you have to start to do is be more, um, be more connecting right? <laughs> and, and understanding that the idea that, okay, we're going to do this because this is the circumstance we're in. Uh, that may not be the best way to get the solution out that we want. So part of it is understanding how do we connect with people? And the second piece of this is, I think that if we treat people like dogs, and I, you know, I'm using the analogy earlier where it says, okay, the farther away from dogs we get, these are people. And I, and I think that's where we're entering is going to be a lot more about serving an authentic leadership, right? So if that's going to be the case, that means just by the nature of being that person, you're going to provide certain kinds of feedback and I think it's less mechanical. I think it's one of those things, and I love to hear everyone else is thinking, but I want, to th- I want people to think, look, we need to have a real connection with the people we work with. Uh, that's the one thing that comes out of all the research I'm doing. And the second piece of that is, if we're having uh, those authentic connections, how does that change the dynamic of the person, the person and the leader or the person and the manager? Uh, it's over and over for 20 years, we've, you know, we've found that people are, they don't quit companies, they quit the leader or the manager. So yeah. that's, you know, I'll leave that alone and uh, stop. So. <laughs> well, we've got lots of hands up. So Lee, let's go to you. You know, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, people like to be hurt. They like to feel hurt. And, you know, that goes back to the empathy, the ability to, uh, to understand where they're coming from, right? To understand why, you know, they're feeling. And this also comes back to, uh, as a manager, uh, you know, which isn't universal, but a lot of times the managers came from where this person is, right? So they got, they started off, they got promoted, they moved up. So remember where you came from. So if you remember what it was like to be in that place, you had a manager, you learned a new job, you messed up in that new job, you got hopefully feedback. How did that make you feel? Did, did you get good feedback? Did you get bad feedback? What did you learn? And so when you can understand where that person is coming from in that regards, then you can, you can work with that. And, uh, you know, and you also have to think of, you know, think of workers like, uh, you know, think of a baby, you know, something happens and then you change scenes and you go back. The baby has no idea what just happened. Right. Well, people are, 
Don't grow out of that. If you get too far away from the event and then you try to give feedback, they don't even know what you're talking about. You know, they forgot about it. They've moved on. You know, we, we, we're in something else. Why are we talking about something that happened last week? And so you have to make sure you keep that close. Uh, you also have to talk about, you know, the actions, the behaviors, not the person. You know, don't necessarily talk about what you did. Let's talk about what happened. So now it's not personal. What happened? Okay, so how did we react to that? How did we move with that? As opposed to, hey, you know, you did, and now we're defensive. And uh, so it, it's really got to be careful about that, you know. And, you know, just to, the, the big stick, you know, the military has been famous for that for years, right? You know, yelling and screaming and big stick. And we started to figure out that when you when you connect with the person, when you get that trust, when you foster that psychological safety, that you don't need the stick. You know, you, you talk to them, you deal with them, you teach them, and then you let them do their jobs. And uh, if you're providing that, you know, constructive and regular feedback, then, you know, you don't have near as much issue with getting the job done. Very, very true. But, I, you know, there's that magic word, if, in there as well. Uh, talk to Martha, let's go to you. There's so much to consider here. You know, we talk about empathy, which is important. But I think even before empathy, we have to talk to one another respectfully, like we're all adults at a workplace. I think gone are the days of the big stick. I, I think it has been proven that that's not very effective. Leading or ruling by fear will only get you so far. You have no real influence or no real power. And if that's all the tools that you have, then you will have people leaving. So we have to begin with that. Just treat each other as adults and be respectful towards one another. Have a conversation. Hear the other person out, ask them a question and allow them to respond thoughtfully. Those are such basic things, but I think they get forgotten because of that old way of thinking of I'm the boss and I'm going to rip into you now because you didn't do something. The other thing to consider here in this conversation is that as a leader or a manager, there's a lot to consider one thing that I've learned over the years is how important it is to pick your battles. Sometimes you can spend all your time and energy banging your head against the wall over something that technically needs to be happening or needs to not be happening. But in the bigger scheme of things, it matters very little, if at all. So let's say you have an employee who is chronically late, be that one minute or 10 minutes, but that's their thing. You know, there are people out there who just aren't going to be on time for things, no matter what you do to them. There's no way to inspire them. Not really. You may put some fear into them. You may inspire them in other ways for a short period of time, but that's not going to last. That's just the way they are. So a manager has to think to himself or herself, how much is this interfering with their performance? Are they coming in and getting their job done? Is it affecting the rest of the team? Is it affecting the team morale, the team performance? Pick your battles. If you need to have that conversation, be considerate. Maybe it's a matter of that person having to take care of someone else within their family in the morning. And 
they're dealing with challenges you're not even aware of. Maybe it's a matter of adjusting their schedule. So there's so much to consider here. The old I carry the stick idea is so long gone and so ineffective. I can't even begin to speak on that. So that's all I have for now. <laughs> I, I, I want to push back a little bit because I, I want to believe you. I really, really do that you know the world is changing, but you know, we have politicians and political parties in our country who govern through fear, who still use that big stick. So how, how can we change business when, as we look at the larger world, our politicians aren't doing that? But we're not politicians, we're human. <laughs> Let's just separate go. the two. I mean, come on. We, I, I'm, I'm insulted that you compare us to politicians, Tom. You got, got a good point there. Uh, Brendan, let's go to you. Oh, boy, that's a tough act to follow, especially with the uh, so rightness of that comment. Um, but I, I want to go back to what's what's in this model of notes that Jeremy has here and, and some things just to think about here. Um, whenever I do performance reviews for an organization, it's uh, there are two classical models that people use where it's we're going to do your performance review on your anniversary date or they get onto some cycle where we pick a time during the year, everyone gets the performance review and we move forward with that. Um, but when you're training for performance reviews, one of the things that I always, you know, um, make sure I touch upon is this is going on the scratch it when it itches um, sort of concept. If something happened eight months ago and you didn't address it eight months ago, it's not a problem anymore. And if it is a problem, that's your fault as the manager. It's not really the employee's problem. Um, because you should have said something then and there. And this idea of con conditioning your employees to be better at their work really should be on a continuous feedback loop. When you look at any good change model, because that's what this is, this is a change model that you can use for an individual. You don't have like the third step is communicate. Communicate should be interwoven into every single step that you're doing. So why would you think that, yeah, no, at, at step five, that's when I'm going to communicate this. You should be doing that through all five steps. And I think that's the mistake people make is that it's, well, I'll only address it when, it when it really bothers me or this, that, or the other thing. If you get it while it's a small problem, you can correct it. The employee wants the feedback. The employee naturally wants to be doing the right thing to help their career, to help the organization. And they're going to value it as long as you say it in the right way. Let me ask you, Brendan, have you ever had to actually you know, tell a manager that they are the problem? And, and how do they take it? There is a nicer way to do this, but it's very much saying, look, think about it from that person's perspective. That's where I always go with it to make it non-confrontational. If this happened to you and this, this, and this was going on, how would you interpret that? Well, oh, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know that anything's were going on. Exactly. So how would the employee know these things are going on? You give them a lot of credit, but then you also don't give them enough credit or, or too much credit into thinking that they anticipate and see everything that's going on. That's your job as the managers to educate them on the things on their blind spots. Yeah, great advice. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. There we go. <clears throat> I, I love this conversation and I have a little bit of a different take on that. And that is, you know, one of the things whenever I'm giving someone feedback, I do a version of the assertiveness script and really try to find out where they are first. I always ask, um, 
how they're viewing the situation so that I know what the playing field looks like and what what they're dealing with. I have the information about what's going on with them and and so forth. The other side of this that's that occurs to me is really, and I don't mean to hijack the, t- the, the pathway of this conversation, but I think at some point we really need to look at the differences in the way that genders communicate and how the gender bias in what you are saying um, is taken. And then even if, for example, if you have someone who maybe in a performance review, say there's a male supervisor with, communicating to a female supervisor, a female, and they ask for her to change her behavior. They, they communicate effectively and they ask her to change her behavior in how she's interacting with maybe some of the other team that she's working with. And she goes ahead and does that. But if that team has not been educated about the difference in communication, then because it re- is a change in her behavior and she's asking for a change from them, there's gonna be pushback because that's natural effect of change. So I think that for me, it's a a great conversation, but I don't think we can ignore the differences in the way that the genders communicate. Do we all, is is it just gender communication or do we now have to look at it in even larger context with people from different cultures, especially now if we are working remotely and we've got teams all over the world, do we have to keep in the back of our mind that people are different, that, you know, genders are different, but someone who is working in India might be different than someone who's working uh, in the United States? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is, to me, this is a very complex issue. When you're talking about giving feedback and then expecting some kind of behavior changes, to me, it's really complex. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Oriana, let's go to you. Yeah, this has been a fascinating conversation so far, and I feel like we're heading in a lot of directions. But a part of what we were just saying around considering, you know, gender norms and differences in communication and other things, I think an important consideration for leaders is considering their own personal biases and and what their personal biases are as they're heading into a feedback discussion. I've definitely had a number of touch points, especially early career, where feedback was given to me And sometimes it was in contrast with my personal values and personality, where I feel like we have to be careful with what we are mandating other employees to be doing and taking a fine line between what is job necessary and what is a personal opinion around how you should live your life. And I see this, for example, in toxic cultures, where perhaps working um, beyond normal work hours, putting in, you know, perhaps what is beyond the job realm, putting in that level of work or other things, that could be a piece of feedback, but might not necessarily be well received from the employee. So I feel like the conversation around having good communication, being open to seeing your employee's worldview and really making it a conversation is most important. Because Tom, I do think we are getting away from the world where we can just direct people to do our bidding in the way that maybe feedback was rolled down previously. Um, and now we're having to really, you know, come to people as people and have those conversations. And then the last thing I want to put out is a recent model that I heard being developed in the area of feedback. And it had three parts, essentially, where the first part of the feedback was giving someone an evaluation. So one of the things on Dr. Jeremy's list was, you know, don't trigger the person to a fight or flight response. And I think 
I personally experienced that, you know, my leaders are giving me feedback and I like almost mentally shut down because I'm like, oh no, what are they going to say? But letting them know where they stand on an evaluative sense. So like you're an eight out of 10, possibly you're doing really well, but here's some areas of improvement. And then being really specific on what those areas of improvement are and support them and coaching them to actually know how to achieve a behavioral change like we've been talking about. And then lastly, bringing in that praise part, which is often a part of the feedback sandwich, is really helpful for them to know what they're doing well also. Uh, let me ask you, with your experience, uh, how, can you give me a, an estimate of percentages of what percentage of organizations have this already figured out and they're doing a great job? And what percentage are really getting into that toxic culture because they ain't doing it right? I don't have any stats here, Tom, unfortunately. I'd love to put that up to the group if anyone does. But I have definitely, I think that this space has as much variety as anything else in organizational psychology. Um, I would say there are organizations where they use things like feedback as a part of their conversation and culture. So being direct and, you know, having the conversation on what's working well and not is ingrained. Other ones, like Brendan was saying, mostly during performance management cycles, there's kind of this feeling of not wanting to share. So a lot of things come out during that um, and then kind of a blend of the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, Deborah, welcome to the stage. Go ahead. Hi, everyone. This is such a great conversation and I have like a million notes, but I did want to bring um, a little bit um, about Martha's comment about um, us behaving as adults in the workplace and how hard it is because human behavior is driven by so many aspects. So I think um, coming into the world of feedback, we have to understand that we're dealing with other human beings that are basically a universe um, in their own right. They have their own experiences, their own biases, their own um ways of thinking about the world and even values. So when we come to feedback, we really, as managers, for example, or as we teach people um, to give effective feedback, we always have to start with the person that gives the feedback. So we always have to start with that preparation of um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give feedback to this person. What do I have to do to prepare um, in that sense, I do have to study this person before, like what's our interaction has been, how are they working, just doing that um, a little bit beforehand. But also, um, as Dr. Ariana was saying, just what biases do I have in terms of this person, maybe their culture, maybe their gender, um, or maybe just I may not like them, you know, like that's a thing that happens to humans. And so how do we work these things before actually having that conversation um, and providing that feedback? I think is a really big thing. And um, I wanted to connect that to what is in the in the event PDF where it says um, a key role for leaders is the management of their followers emotions. But how many of us actually get training on how to manage other people's emotions? Like that's a really complex thing to ask for a manager who has done their job really well, but maybe does not have the skills or the knowledge to really do that empathetic um, conversation and actually do it well. So it's really easy to be like, be empathetic, but what does that actually mean? Um, and how are you managing your own emotions? And how can you properly manage somebody else's emotions when maybe you are not as regulated? So I really do think that um, 
feedback is both something that needs to be ingrained in the culture, but it has to also be taught. Um, and we do have to prepare both supervisors, managers, um, and people who are on the path of uh, leadership to actually understand their emotions, their biases, their values first, in order to be effective at providing feedback. That's just something I wanted to share. Well, let me ask you, with with all the changes that we're seeing now with all the new paradigms, all the new ways to work, whether it's remote, hybrid, being still co-located, is it time that we have a leadership boot camp that we know we've got to construct something just to keep managers up to the changes that are going on? I think so. I think that um, education is really important. And wherever you are um, in your leadership like spectrum, right, um, I think that you should all like any employee should always be um, just getting that information about how the, the things are changing in the world. Um, I definitely see a lot of organizations investing more in leadership academies and management training and um, just training that has to do with that, because I do think that the world is changing. And I think somebody mentioned that we are expecting more from work um, as employees. So I think that if we are to create cultures that are, are are not rooted in turnover, then we do have to maintain our just our connection to what's going on in the world and how we need to change the way that we manage and supervise in order to be successful. Because it's kind of everything's changing really fast, I think. It certainly is. Thank you very much. Dr. Martha, let's go to you. A couple of things that come to mind. Um, first, something that ties back to what Brandon was saying and what Dr. Ariana was saying about making feedback more of a normal experience rather than doing it just on your anniversary or just once a year. Because when it is so infrequent, anything and everything could be dumped on you as the employee. And so now your nerves are up and you don't know what to expect and you don't know what's going to happen. And it can't all be good because, well that just statistically speaking can't happen. And so I think that if we were to make talking to people and giving them feedback a regular thing within the workplace, it wouldn't be so nerve wracking to get that annual feedback or review. Now, does that mean that a manager who has, let's say 50 or 100 or 200 people to look out for has the time to do that? No, but there are team leaders who are in touch with smaller groups on people of people, they can make it more normal to receive feedback, to have those conversations. The other thing that I wanted to say is I've always been wary of the sandwich approach. What are you hiding? What's in that sandwich? Why can't you just be straightforward? Why do you have to put two pieces of bread between whatever you're trying to get down my throat? So I never liked that. That never sat well with me. I prefer a spoonful of sugar. Lee, let's go to you. I want to circle back to something that uh, Ariana said a minute ago, because it's something that I think we often overlook in, in feedback, and that's, you know, managing up. Uh, and also in regards to the personal uh, personal feelings and, and, you know, ideals and whatever else. Uh, I had a situation where, you know, we were, we were overseas. We had somebody who had started seeing a local and requested permission to spend the night off base with their significant other. Well, our, at that particular time, our, our supervisor, you know, I was second and our supervisor was a chaplain. Well, 
the young lady in question, the, the local, she was, she was separated pending divorce, but she wasn't divorced yet. And so chaplain denied it because, oh, we can't do that. And so I had to have a conversation with the supervisor and say, uh, sir, you can't do that. You know, I, I get where you're coming from, but you can only deny this based on something that is an actual rule, which this is not. This is a personal thing. And I totally get where you're coming from, but this is a personal uh, belief and feeling, whatever else, that does not apply to the situation. Uh, if you deny him based on this, this is going to go higher. And uh, he didn't like it, but he understood it. And, you know, we had a positive conversation. Ultimately, approval was given, et cetera, et cetera. And actually, and, and they're married now. And they've been married for years. So it all worked out. But it took me having that uncomfortable conversation with someone senior to me saying, we're going down the wrong road here. And, uh, you know, which can be very delicate, especially talking to your. Yeah, it can be extremely difficult. And <laughs> once again, I think we need some skills for that because it can be a difficult, you know, Anytime I've tried that, hasn't gone well. But then again, maybe I'm not using the right tactics. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. I wanted to, there's a couple of um, pieces of feedback. And that's when, one, when you've given someone feedback and are asking for them to change their behavior, it's important to complete that conversation and make sure you say or ask, do they feel like they have the skills to do that? Do they need some other training? Because if you just say, I need you to change, but they don't know how or to do something differently and they don't know how, then that's a recipe for failure, right? You're setting them up for failure. So you need to make sure that you're giving them the tools to be successful. That's one thing. Um, and there's you know, something that's going on in the, in the chat is uh, about making sure that positive feedback happens as well. You know, if, if, an, if a leader is only giving feedback once a year, they're not doing their job. They're not leading their people. And so it's important to give both kinds of feedback. I know in one particular position, whenever I would, I would ask my um, team to come on occasion down to my office so we could have a conversation and to avoid that kind of principal's office kind of thing. Sometimes I would just say, you did a great job on whatever it was. And it was always a mixture of sometimes it's a, it's a positive feedback. And sometimes there's something else I'm asking of you. And so they're more open to hearing what you have to say when you also give them the positive feedback. Um, and then just to follow up on, I think it was the, uh, you know, or the managing up comment. And that is, you know, success is a mutual responsibility. You are also responsible for your success as well as help your manager or uh, leader helping you get there. So that's the follow-up. It's a nice follow-up. Brendan, let's go to you. So just to, to add on to the feedback sandwich um, conversation, the feedback sandwich does have a time and a place, but usually it's for very small things that need to get changed. You wouldn't say, hey, you know, you're doing a really good job at getting yourself in here on time. Um, you're doing this really awful. And if you do it again, you're going to get fired. Uh, and then follow up with another positive comment because number one, the first comment is just gone out. They're not thinking about that. 
Now they're so focused on the negative. And then on the third part, they're not even listening. So it's only for like very small, minor changes. You wouldn't use it to drop a bomb on somebody. If you're going to drop a bomb on somebody, you need to have a real conversation about it. And where I've had luck with these continuous feedback loops um, is even building it into your company's structure where it's a monthly one-on-one that the manager schedules. Um, The other real great way to get this going is to use a one-on-one form where the employee actually fills out subsections of it. And actually they're taking charge of their own career. They're actually taking charge of that conversation. So it's, it's easier for the manager who doesn't have that much time is go, okay, well, this is what we're going to talk about today. This is good. And it's very much managing up. And if you're building into your process, it's, it's just very easy to execute those monthly one-on-ones that way. Yeah. It sounds like a great idea. Deborah, let's go to you. Brandon, thank you so much for bringing that up because I actually had like um, something uh, written about that because as we are talking about the feedback sandwich, I was also thinking, but when we make it more of a conversation and we can get feedback from both sides, um, it usually becomes a how can we make this better or what can we replace this behavior with rather than you're doing this well, you're doing this horribly, (laughs) you're doing this well. Um, I guess there are some places and times for it, but if we are talking about creating, like embedding feedback into our culture, then definitely I think that making it a conversation um, is much more effective, especially preparing for that um, conversation beforehand, not just the manager, but as Brendan is saying, if you have a one-on-one form and you have a set time that every month every like for 20 minutes you'll meet um for example 155 is a is a platform that does that really well then the conversation can flow very much uh more effectively but also i think that the great thing about having set one-on-one meetings and having set things that we discuss for example is that then you as the employee can also um, ask for feedback on specific things that maybe you were not given feedback uh, in the past month or in the past two months or three months. Um, And you could actually also ask for more training, uh, more tools. I did not have access to this information, so I could not do that well. So it's also making sure that we are not just providing feedback wonder like one directionally like in one direction but we are also expecting um our employees and our team members to take charge of their career of their um their jobs and actually ask for what they need ask for that feedback and just making it part of the overall culture i think is really important to avoid that fight or flight principal's office kind of vibe because i feel like in most organizations um that's the way that it feels and that's the way that it goes so I think that creating it as part of the culture talking about it a lot um and just asking people how they feel about the feedback in the company and how they can improve that structure or that system I think is really valuable as well so also making employees more um like participating more in the creation of that feedback structure making them feel much more part of it so that Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not so intimidated when I get that bad review a trip let's go to you Oh, you're still I guess one of the odd things is, is oh, yeah, okay, I'm up there right now, right? Um, I, one of the things I guess to me is this, we're talking about culture, right? I mean, we're talking about putting a lot of uh, different things in play. And I, and I, I think one of the things that, that drive me crazy uh, since I'm, you know, at, at the top of organizations and I work with them 
is they don't understand how the little things make a big difference, right? I mean, one of the things that we, we have to start thinking to ourselves, how do we do this in a way that it's just intuitive? I mean, if we have to think about what we're doing to act a lot of times, we miss the golden opportunities that exist inside companies and inside people. And, and the second piece is, I, I still feel a large portion of what's going on here is there's a, there is a major shift in how we go about doing what we do. And I think we are being asked to become much better managers of our people. Even if you're at the top of an organization, how do you impact those people in a way? And the second, I'll, I'll just throw it out there, is the emotional intelligence piece of this, which is how do we mo you know, moderating somebody else's emotion? That's what we're supposed to do. Well, I can tell you, having worked at the top of organizations for 30 years, they don't work that way. Uh, and I think if we don't honor the fact that there's going to be emotions in things and there and, and we, it's messy. I mean, part of what everybody's saying here is it's messy, but the part of it is saying that's OK, it's messy. That's what we have to get to. We can't just say, OK, here's how we're going to go about doing this and, and do this for two weeks and then go on to something else. And I, and I think that's where I think there is an opportunity. You know, Lee talks about talking to us. The other part is we to get to the point where I think to be successful, we have to remove titles. I mean, that's the other piece of this. I mean, no one wants to say it, but you can't say, okay, I'm, I'm managing up. I'm managing sideways. I'm managing left and right. <laughs> All I'm doing is I'm managing, right? That's where I think the other opportunity exists is we have to create culture that allows for us to have that ugly messiness that's gonna be there for a while going through this. And I guess that's the, the thought I had as I listened to everybody is, all these things are in some ways mechanical. We have to get beyond mechanical at some point and know we're gonna make mistakes. Well, let me ask you, Tripp, because you know, here, here we are a group of people who are wanting to help, but are those top corporations, are they seeing that there's a need for help? Or are they just business as usual? Well, there's an, an interest. That's a great question. Thank you. You set up a real interesting conversation. What is a top corporation today? But individuals. I mean, this is where I think the other piece of this is we're going from a, a corporate mindset in some ways that's very, you know, corporate-y to being a collaborative mindset. And how do we work together and how do we do those things? And, and you no, know, not all big corporations. You still have people talking about lots of things they've always talked about for 25 years. If the, if the message is 25 years old, we probably need a new message. But I think the other part is we have to understand uh, the, the entrepreneur, the smaller business person growing a company has to have different sets of skills than they do as a big corporation. But that's not going to be forever. I think those things are going to break down. Oh, from your lips, my friends. <laughs> um, Trip is a bit of a fortune teller, so we will. We now got him down. We'll we'll see where we are in six months. Uh, Dr. Ariana, let's go back to you. Yeah, I'm going to touch on something that was said before, and then talk about what Trip was just saying. But I think as we talk about feedback and how to deliver it, something that I see that doesn't happen very often that I think could be helpful is just allowing space for processing. I think that sometimes managers and leaders come to these conversations and they're like, I figured out how you need to change. But I think that, and then in those conversations, it's like often a face-to-face, -face, whether on Zoom or in person, and there's no space for that person to like really think through the feedback, internalize it, think about how it matches with their worldview and doesn't, the feasibility versus not. 
And I think they should be allowed to process and then come back and talk about what is feasible, what's not, what are the skill sets they need to have in order to change, which parts they maybe don't want to do and just being honest about that. So at least, you know, you can understand the resistances are. Um, but I think that is just in line with what we've been talking about, about making it more of a conversation. And I also think that that conversation could be powerful, you know, in the leading up space around being like, this is the part of my position. I feel like I can't change the way I'm completing it. And this is why, you know, and this is what maybe I need from you more as a leader. But as we've been talking about, traditionally talking up to your leader is a very challenging space. And a lot of people don't have the psychological safety and trust to do that, which is kind of how it relates to trip and building a culture, right? A culture where this is more acceptable in which there's more collaboration. And, um, you know, I do think that hierarchy is necessary in an organization to create structure and specialization and we feed into different groups, but also, you know, maybe letting that go a little bit more in terms of our psychological perspective of interacting with others in the workplace. And then lastly, um, I want to say relates to our positive feedback and recognition. Uh, as an ethical culture assessment person, I'm seeing in organization that recognition is one of the lowest scoring areas or one of our lowest scoring ethical culture dimensions. And so I think that's important because employees feel like they want a lot more recognition. So when, when that's not present, the negative feedback is going to hit harder. And we know in, from the positive psychology space that we really need to offset our negative relationship interactions 10 to 1 because the negatives stick so strongly with us due to like us holding on to negatives as an evolutionary adaptation. We hold on to the negatives more. So really that recognition is also just as key in creating behavioral change so that people can be receptive and not be shut down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> once again, what a wonderful world that would be. Uh, and we've got to move forward. Linda Ann, let's go to you. This has a little bit to do with um, what Ariana was, was saying. And I think it's one of the ways that I have found to be effective in addressing change for someone is to really just have them ask them, tell me about whatever the situation is. And, you know, um, help me understand X or tell me about it and get where they are and then ask them the question of, are you aware that it's having this effect or that this is the result and, and have a conversation about that and then walk them through how they perceive things could be different and have them create that process of what they believe they can do differently. And instead of it having it be a directive process, it's a revelatory process. And that I have found is very well received most of the time and results in more change. So there's, um, that's my two cents on, on that. The other thing too is whenever I would interact with a team member throughout the organization, um, I would close almost every interaction with, do you need anything from me? What do you need? So that they can constantly feel that they can get help, get the resources, and that it's a very collaborative process. And it's a real simple thing to do. Well, but let me ask you as, you know, if I was a leader, do I have to develop those skills or can I just call HR? Um, well, it depends <laughs> on what you want for your organization. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> 
Good. <laughs> no, maybe I better pick up those skills. Dr. Martha, let's go to you. You know, something that I just thought of, uh, which Linda Ann said, you know, ending a conversation with what do you need um, when um, in a management role, that is something that I would end every single conversation with every individual team member. Tell me how it's going. Tell me what's going on. Let's talk about any issues that we need to address. But what do you need, whether that's support, whether that's um, tool, whether that's a new computer, what is it that you need? And I will do my best to give you what you need to do your job. And it's such a simple thing. It really does not require you to go to special training. That's just a question that you ask of every individual. What is it that you may need that I can't assume I know what you need. And unless I ask you, how would I know? Maybe you're too shy to tell me otherwise. So that's such an important thing. I've done it myself. And I really like um, that you brought that up. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to point out is the importance of words. Oftentimes, we use words interchangeably. And we've been talking about feedback. But at some point, we kind of slid into um, evaluations. And if when I think of feedback versus evaluation, to me, those can have a very different emotional uh, response in a person because a feedback to me is a conversation and an evaluation is something that you're getting graded on your performance. And whether that happens once a year, twice a year, expect to get nailed for something. And so it's very important that we're aware of the words that we use and the weight that they carry, what they mean to different people, and that we're not so haphazard in using them interchangeably because one person may be scared to death of an evaluation because of their own previous experiences. Uh, whereas having a conversation where feedback is exchanged can be so neutral in comparison. But, but let me ask you, do, do people have the skills to have conversations? I mean, to me, a conversation is, you know, a two-way street. But quite often when we're dealing with leadership, those conversations are one directional, uh, you know. So do, do we as a society even have those skills? Or, I mean, I don't think they're being taught in school anymore. So do we need to get better at having just start, maybe starting with just getting better at having conversations? I think so, because think about how many people just don't listen. How many times you get interrupted when you're trying to finish your sentence? How many times you see the blank look on the listener's face because they're not listening anymore. They're compiling their own response to the first part of whatever you said. So I think learning to listen and having a bona fide conversation, those are kind of a kindergarten thing, but... Um, <laughs> but we I all need to go back to kindergarten. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it gets missed a lot. Everything I learned, I need. I never need to learn in kindergarten, except maybe how to play nice with people. At least, <laughs> you know, this is, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating segue because this also kind of goes generational. You know, when you look at the difference, you know, when I was growing up, you had a phone connected to the wall, and you picked it up and you called somebody, and you had to answer it and take a chance that it was somebody you wanted to talk to because we didn't have to call her ID. You know, now what are we doing? Well, you know, we're texting, you know, 
And, and so when you are dealing with this younger generations, you have to remember that they're used to talking in snippets, in text. And, you know, many of them don't have extended conversations normally. And so when you talk to them, a lot of times you can see the eyes just lose focus. It's, you've totally lost them because you've exceeded their attention span. And so a lot of times it, it really is important to, to understand your audience and to keep it in the proper time frame. You know, I can talk to some older people that I work with and we can talk for an hour and, and just go. And then I can talk to some of the younger people where I've lost them after a couple of minutes because their brain is off on something else. And, you know, one way that I, I like to deal with that is, you know, not in a work from home situation, but in an office is the, you know, the, the old managing by walking around paradigm where, you know, I go to them, I go to their desk or their workstation or whatever. And I have, a, you know, a four or five minute conversation. How are things going? What can I help you with? Are you having issues with anything? You know, how was Timmy's baseball game? Did they win? You know, that sort of thing. And you just have your few, your few minutes and then you go, okay, great. Well, let me know if something comes up and you move on. And, you know, you, you build that trust, you've established that communication and they're a lot more comfortable often in coming to you when there is an issue. So that, that does help with the feedback. And, and, and when you go to them with feedback, if it's not necessarily positive, it makes it a little bit easier because you have that where you've established that you are really, you really care about them and the job that they're doing and what, and what they need from you to do that job. Um, and you start that early. And then by the time, you know, you do need something, it's not automatically adversarial. Uh, you also can tell pretty quick the ones that you're going to have issues with by the way they react to the you know, conversations. I, I'm so old. I remember party lines and <laughs> how they would never work. And hey, I knew everything that was happening in the whole community. Uh, Dan, we're almost out of time, but let's go to you for the last comment. And then Jeremy, we're coming back to you. I just wanted to build on on um, something that Lee that Lee was saying and something that was mentioned earlier, and that is, you know, giving especially millennials and Gen Zs time to, to think about things is really important because if you think about how they were raised, their time was so scheduled and there was very little time, free time, to just contemplate and wonder and create. And so when you're asking those kinds of things of them, that's a new skill that they're learning. It's a skill that they have to develop because they haven't been given that time before. Their time has been directed, they've been coached, directed and there's been little, very little time for that free thought and so that's something that's that we need to give them more um, grace to to develop and really and truly they're they're the ones who are going to shape the way we, that we work in the future because they're very out there with their comments and what they want um, Jeremy uh, once again great conversation this week and you know the hour has flown by and I'm sure we could continue but um, where are we going next week so before that, quick, some uh, hopefully very brief comments on what was being said in, in terms of giving people that space. I'm a, I'm a big fan of questions are, all, are, are your best friend no matter what. And when we ask questions, a lot of times, I think a lot of times with feedback and, and it, it turns into problem solving by managers where they're trying, they're asking questions for their understanding. It's a complete, it's a perspective shift. But when you can start asking questions so that the other person can understand better rather than you gaining information to solve the problem, you help you enable people to become more confident in their problem solving abilities. You enable them to solve their own challenges 
and you become much more effective as a leader. So when you ask questions, ask questions not so that you can gain information, but ask questions so that they gain a deeper understanding. Let them allow, allow them to think on a deeper level about the situation that they're in, even you know in feedback situations. That'll help them understand it better and give them that time. Also in this, uh, uh, Linda and Martha were mentioned, and one of the best things to say is at the end, "What can I do for you?" I would go a step. I'll go a step further and get that a little deeper. It's almost like, you know, at the end of a, a presentation, you say, any questions? No. Sometimes it's, is there anything that I can do for you? No. Ask more specific questions. What's one thing I can do for you? Or what's one challenge I could I could do for you? Or get creative. You could say, in a perfect world, what could I do for you today? You might say, what's a question that I should be asking that could be helpful? I mean, these are questions that you can ask in any situation, right? I mean, while you're negotiating a phone contract, you can ask that other person. I've used these questions in very creative situation. Sometimes I'll say, what are other common questions that people ask that you have found have been helpful? So there's all kinds of different ways that you can get creative with that. Next week, we have Dr. Destiny Preet will be leading this conversation, how to get experienced workers to mentor staff. That is next week. We also on Tuesday, and these are all on cboc.com slash events. Next Tuesday, we have our um, joint IO Military Experts and CBOC IO Psychology Virtual Networking Mixer number four. That's on Tuesday, the 13th. And bing, bang, boom, Tom. That is it. Should I count us out? And that was great. But that, and there, uh, maybe we should just hint a little bit. There may be some changes coming to CBOC and might be doing some interesting, fun things in the future. Yeah. So many, uh, Dr. Destiny mentioned last week that, um, you know, with, with her and CBOC, we've officially declared August IO Psychology Month. And it doesn't just wait until next August. So we're going to be doing some things over the next year. And I was thinking about how to word this uh, that are going to be interesting and potentially end up comical as a result to engage very specifically many IO people. I'll leave it at that. So yeah, we won't tell them anymore. Stay tuned. It's, it's going to be fun. A little, little teaser. All yeah. right. I think it, once again, Jeremy, great show, great topic. Uh, and next week, it sounds like uh, Dr. Destiny has got it set up for some great topics and great discussion as well. So thank you very much, everyone, for joining us once again this week. And we hope to see you once again next week. All right. With that, Jeremy, why don't you count us out? Excellent. Counting out at five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S E B O C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.